and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where the events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords. And my name is John Keeley. This is the 362nd show of ROI, and our guest today is Miss Cindy Sweet. Executive Director of the Iowa's Museum Association, who is going to talk to us about the Teaching Iowa History Project. The history buff for today's show is Rick, I can't pronounce his Latin, no, sweet. Uh, the show theme is Caleb's theme, written and performed by Mark Zapsaptel. Our producer and engineer is always David Baker. This is the opening segment of the show called History is Local, and today we're going to be talking about the Teaching Iowa History Project with Cindy Sweet, Executive Director of the Iowa Museum Association. Cindy, can you give us some background on the Iowa Museum Association? Sure. Uh, the Iowa Museum Association is a membership service organization. It's uh, getting darn close to 50 years old now. Um, our mission is to build organizational capacity, advocate to heighten awareness of the field, and foster community. Membership in the IMA is open to any museum, and of course a museum is uh, broadly defined as an organization with a collection held in trust for the public with an educational mission. So examples of Iowa museums range from historical societies, art centers, art museums, to botanical gardens, children's museums, uh, living history sites, zoos, all, all different types of collecting organizations, but they typically hold their collection in trust for the public, and they have an educational mission. And our members also include a variety of organizations such as nonprofit organizations, county conservation boards, corporate museums, college and university museums, and city departments, among other governing structures. Okay, Cindy, so you just provided our listeners a wide array of qualifications. So how many um, organizations are part of the Iowa Museum Association throughout the state? So there are about 400 active museums in Iowa, and we're getting close to 300 members, um, organizational members, I should say, in the Iowa Museum Association. Um, the way our membership is structured is an organization joins. It's based on their operating budget because we want to keep it affordable for all organizations from our smallest to our largest. And then their organizational membership covers all of their staff, their volunteers, their board members, and so forth. So by purchasing an organizational membership, their folks can all attend anything that we offer at a member discounted price. All right. So we're here to really talk about the Teaching Iowa History Project. Um, how did that project get started, and what's the goals? So um, there's a, a, a long history to the project. Um, I'll, I'll start with a short statement about kind of what it is, okay? It's, it's a project that leverages the resources of Iowa museums to support K-12 through educators in teaching Iowa history and meeting the new social studies standards. That's, that's in a nutshell what it is. The project actually started uh, back in 2014 at a workshop when we were discussing 
um, how to better serve teachers, how to um, write better lesson plans as museum educators, how to help our educators use primary sources in the classroom. And um, Stephanie Wagger, who is the social studies consultant for the Iowa Department of Education, was one of our speakers at that workshop, and, and we started talking, and we started brainstorming, and we came up with kind of a pilot project um, for how we could do this, how we could leverage the resources of Iowa museums to help support uh, public school teachers. Well, within a very short period of time of, of even starting our very first pilot, Governor Branstad convened the Iowa History Advisory Council. And this was a group that was convened to look at um, a number of issues, but primarily why were we not teaching Iowa history? You know, if you, if you go to just about any other state in the nation, I think we were one of three at the time, that was not teaching our own history. And so the council uh, looked at what was going on in the states around us and um, best practices and what we could do differently and so forth, and ultimately um, recommended new social studies standards that would include Iowa history, and those standards were adopted. So as okay. that process was unfolding... The Iowa Museum Association was part of the Iowa History Advisory Council, and we were piloting our project, and we were finding it very exciting, and then the standards were approved, and um, suddenly teachers had a limited amount of time in order to ramp up and, and teach Iowa history, and they did not have any resources. We don't have an Iowa history textbook. They did not have anything. And so at that point, um, Stephanie Wagger encouraged us to apply for a grant and expand our project, and that's when we really took off. Okay. So um, question, when you uh, were looking around at the other states, of course, there's a bunch of other ones that handle it in a totally different fashion. Uh, did you examine some of the things that you thought that they uh, focused on or techniques and style, like maybe websites or curriculum um, objectives that we we bought or was it pretty much we started scratch with this is Iowa history and this is what our body thinks we should do you know you're asking me to remember back a number of years here but uh, my recollection <laughs> is that we had um, we had zoom meetings uh, or webinars with um, colleagues from the states around us um, to kind of understand how they uh, had written their standards and how it was implemented in their state. I was not part of the group that ultimately sat down and wrote the standards. Those were educators way above my pay grade. Um, but, but we started with those webinars and learning kind of what was going on in the states around us. Okay, Cindy, I'm, the thing that's most exciting to me as a history teacher is the emphasis on using primary sources. Yeah, so, I know. Can can you talk to me a little bit? How do we, how do how does the project hope to accomplish that? Because obviously, as a teacher, that particularly in today's world, pre-COVID, even um, that that it became more and more difficult to have a kid actually go to a museum and and interact with uh, a piece of primary source. Um, it just became cost, uh, you know, the, the districts were cutting costs and so forth. So, you know, how do we, how do we accomplish that? Because it's right. something that's near and dear to my heart. How does the project hope to make that possible? Well, um, we are doing it online. And that was, that was the first piece that we tackled because we wanted this 
project to be available and accessible to any Iowa museum, all sizes, all shapes, all kinds. If you have artifacts that are um, telling an interesting story, whether it's local history, county history, or state history, we want you to be able to include that. So what we're doing is we have a, a database online um, where we are amassing the artifacts. So our, we have a couple different websites that, that work in tandem. And on our teachingiowahistory.com website, under um, educator resources, we have a long list of online collections. But the very first one is the Teaching Iowa History Digital Collection. And that's the collection that we started with. So we reached out to all of our um, Iowa museums and we said, if you'd like to participate in this, it's going to be super easy. You send us a JPEG of your object. You tell us what it is, why it's significant, and you give us permission to put it in this database and use it for lesson plans, and we'll do the rest. And they did. Almost 100 uh, museums have contributed so far to this project, and I expect that to, to continue to grow. And then we partnered with, um, we have a number of totally awesome partners. University of Northern Iowa has just been all in on this project since the beginning. Multiple departments have helped with this. So when we started building the database, I had um, history, public history, and history education students that helped build this database. And we set it up on a virtual machine. They had login. Um, we did it all through email. I collected the emails. I made those accessible to the students. They cataloged the, the objects. And then we worked with Past Perfect Museum software, which is a very accessible and affordable cataloging software that a lot of our museums use to put this database online. The reason we needed it to be online was we wanted it to be accessible to even more students because then we were going to be in our next step working with the, the history education students at both UNI and Simpson College who were going to access that database, find objects that they thought would speak to students in lessons and incorporate those in lesson plans. Does, does that right. make sense? Yes, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, we are through with our first segment, so we have a lot more to talk about. So please stay tuned for the next segment of the show. This is ROI on KALA St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. KALA 88.5 FM, the radio station with the most diversity in the Quad City region. Jazz, blues, R&B, hip-hop, Spanish and Hispanic programming, gospel, new rock, oldies, news, and shows addressing local community issues. And the world's best in entertainment and news from Public Radio International. Here's something different on KALA 88.5 FM, the most diverse radio station in the Quad City region. Hello and welcome back to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. And historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords. My name is John Keeley. This is the second segment of our show referred to as The Kitchen Table. Our guest for today is Cindy Sweet. Executive Director of the Iowa Museum Association, and we are talking about the Teaching of Iowa History Project. Our History Buffer Day show is none other than Rick Sweet, 
Rick, can you give uh, Miss Sweet the first question? I would be just more than happy to do that. Hi, Cindy. Good to talk with you again. Hi. Whoa, man, that was warm. Yeah, she's excited. I can tell. Sorry about that. No, I, I heard the earlier conversation. So, Cindy, you mentioned this. There's no, there's no, there's no uh, textbook. Um, back a thousand years ago, um, my parents, your husband's parents as well, gave me Joseph Fraser Wall's book title, Iowa, A History. And uh, that's the only thing I've been able to find that attempts to do something with Iowa history. Uh, And it's published in 1978. Uh, Are you saying that there's been nothing that could be used as a textbook uh, that has been published in the last uh, 40-some-odd years in Iowa? Well, I don't don't think there's a what we would call a true textbook. However, there's a couple of great histories of Iowa that have been written. Dr. Sage wrote a history of Iowa, and then Dorothy Schweider wrote a great history of Iowa most recently. So there there are histories of Iowa. There's just not a textbook. And honestly, when we surveyed teachers to ask what they needed, what they wanted to fulfill the new standards, they did not want a textbook. They didn't want anything paper, in fact. They wanted online resources. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, no, could I ahead. ask? Oh, sorry. No, uh, go ahead. When you, were, when you were talking about the individuals, teachers not wanting a textbook, uh, did they give a reason why? Was it, uh, I mean, I'm just talking from a history teacher myself. Um, the, when we always talked about it in our uh, department or in our district, how we always wanted to teach Iowa history, but for the textbook, that was always another cost that was always kind of questionable. Did they bring that up, or did they really think that the, the um, websites uh, would be an easier and more efficient way for the kids to get access? I have to be honest. We didn't ask them why they wanted such and so. What we did was we provided a laundry list of check off what we could provide that would be most helpful to you and, you know, rank them. And the vast majority wanted online resources. Okay. Okay. Um, So, again, I'm going to come back to those online resources. So can you give our listeners what would be a typical way that a teacher might choose to use the Iowa uh, Teaching Iowa History Project materials uh, as they're created now? Right. So there's a couple of ways they could use them, more than a couple. Um, they could they could start by just looking at the lesson plans that are already posted. So when you go to teachingiowahistory.com and you click on View Iowa History, there's a drop-down menu of Iowa history eras, themes, counties, tags, um, core standards, historical people, and even authors. And teachers could, you know, they could say, well, I want a lesson plan that has to do with um, statewide settlement, 1869 to 1896. And if they click on that, then they'll see the, the lesson plans that have been written for that, and they'll see related books and articles. Um, and that's something else I, I should mention. As we, as we further developed this, teachers said, we don't just need lesson plans, we need background information. And I think that circles back to what Rick was talking about. There's, there's not really a textbook for them. And they need that background information in order to, to teach their lessons. Um, so we're working with a number of historians, um, subject matter experts, local historians, 
to create a database of, of essays, um, historical articles, um, so that, for example, if they pull up these lesson plans related to statewide settlement, um, they'll also see the articles that have already been written for that time period. So the lesson plans that are on the website right now for statewide settlement, 1869 to 96, have to do with immigration and the development of the railroad system and Alexander Clark. And the related books and articles have to do with things that were going on in the Amana colonies, one-room schools, um, individuals, and again, the orphan trains. Um, but we're try- what we're trying to do is give them a place where they can go and they can click on whatever they click on, and it's going to show them everything we've got related to that. And, and I should say the Iowa History Advisory Council has been really proactive in, in developing kind of the framework for how everybody's projects are going to hang together because there's a lot of different great organizations that are part of the Iowa History Advisory Council. So they developed a, a, um, a tagging framework, essentially, uh, a framework of eras, of themes, and, and tags that all of our projects are using. So if a teacher wants um, projects related to specific eras, themes, whatever, they're going to find those throughout our projects. And on our website, teachingiowahistory.com, um, if teachers will click on educator resources, they will find the whole list of our um, colleagues' uh, projects. So, uh, for example, um, World Food Prize Youth Programs and Iowa Ag Literacy Foundation Programs and Iowa Pathways. And um, there's just a number of really great organizations that are part of the Iowa History Advisory Council and doing similar projects or other projects, I should say. And so we wanted to make sure and link out to those so teachers could find all of those also. Okay, Cindy, if I could, if I could ask... Um, uh, since you're looking for background resources, what have you, and I'm going to shamelessly advertise uh, uh, our show, Relevant or Irrelevant, are, is some of the work that we're doing with guests on Iowa history uh, germane to your project? I, I think it very much could be. So, for example, under Educator Resources, I have online collections. And your recordings are, in essence, an online collection. Um, I think we'd have to figure out a way to tag them so teachers could easily find the subject matter they're looking for. Um, But they definitely could be a great um, collection to add to this. One of the things that I'm most um, aware of as we work through this project is how incredibly overworked and busy our teachers are. They, they just have no time at all during the school year. And so we're trying to tag things um, as much as possible to make it as easy as possible for them to find things really, really quickly. And that's also why when you look under educator resources at the articles, um, they're short. So even our historical overviews, which are our longest articles, they're 3,000 words. Our topic overviews are about 1,500 words. And then people, places, events, and groups, 750 words. We just want to give them the basic information they need so that they can then teach a lesson. And then with the lessons, um, they're downloadable. So they they can click on a lesson plan and print it out and make it their own. If they don't if they don't like all of it, but they like some of it, they can do whatever they want to do to make it work for their class. And when they download it, those primary sources that are embedded in it um, will print out as large pictures. They could download them as a JPEG and display them on a screen in their classroom. Um, they can use them in a variety of ways. 
And we also link out to the to the museum. So every time we embed a primary source in a lesson plan, we have a link underneath it to the museum that owns that artifact. So they can click on that and connect directly with that museum if they want to, too. We have a, a direct link to that museum. Cindy, um, along kind of the same lines, I, I went out to your website and you had a great introductory um, video kind of presentation from a graduate student. I think it was at the University of Iowa who yeah. sort of did the, did an intro. Um, and that kind of goes to, to what Rick questions was. I, I would think that this would be a project that undergraduates doing these, uh, senior theses or theme, senior projects, uh, graduate students, um, both public and private, um, as well as places like ROI would um, would be great places to you know would would have people who would want to um, contribute to your project. Is there an easy way for people to contact you, send you information, whatever? I mean, I know that that through the Museum Association, museums are doing that, but what about individual scholars? Yes, anyone can contact me through the Iowa Museum Association. My my email address is director at iowamuseums.org. And if you don't remember that email address, you can find it at iowamuseums.org under About Us. Contact the IMA. Outstanding. Okay, okay Cindy, what um, question, of course, at looking at the website, um, this is, of course, offered to all districts throughout the state. Uh, but, of course, um, I'm sure that you're working more with uh, some districts than maybe others. Uh, who's pretty much finding interest in this website? Or is there a district that you're kind of working with that says, okay, this is the district we're working the most with to maybe figure out some of the kinks or that, you know, to get curriculum or find out which curriculum is, is reaching out to people more than others? We're not really working with any specific district right now. This is a public-facing website, so anybody can access it. What we're right. doing is um, building awareness at this point, right? So, okay. again, circling back to teachers being incredibly busy, we've been doing a newsletter all year to teachers um, that goes out through Stephanie and the social studies um, um, at Iowa Department of Education just to kind of raise awareness. This this is here. This is what we're doing. We're trying to build resources that would help you. We did a survey recently, and we said, you know, are you finding what you need? Um, is, is there anything else we can add? That kind of thing. So uh, right now we're very much in a, a building it and trying to get the word out. Um, at a certain point we're going to be – segueing into a testing. Um, we're going to be moving into more um, professional development related to this. Um, it's, we're just very much in phase one. We're actually about two-thirds through our first grant, and um, obviously we're going to be needing to write more grants and build it further. We, one of the things I really want to get done this summer, if, if we can, is um, kind of the design of the website because Rob Green built this for us, and he is absolutely fabulous and it functions beautifully but he said he's not a designer and that there are other people who could make it more user-friendly those are not skills that I have obviously but but there's things that we can do that will make it um, easier for for people to navigate and so there's there's just a whole lot of stuff that's going to happen and continue to build with this um, but we're so excited about how far we've gotten <laughs> how you know how far we've come in this this brief amount of time 
Okay, Rick, you get the second to the last question. Wow, wow. Uh, I was, I was just, uh, I'm just kind of stunned. It's, uh, uh, what is the biggest hurdle you've got uh, other than the, the teacher's time uh, uh, for um, getting them aware of, of this project and this website? Um, probably the funding aspect because I need to. It takes time to write grants, and you you know you wait six months, nine months to hear if you got the grant. If you didn't get the grant, you write the next grant, and without the grant funding, you can't hire the people to design the website and and all those things that you need to do on a, a project of this magnitude. So funding is is very definitely a a, a thing that we're going to have to keep working on. Um, Definitely want to get more people involved. Um, the, the comment earlier about getting students, undergrads, grad students, we've got a lot of faculty involved in this, but every semester, you know, it's a matter of raising awareness and um, telling, telling people that this is here and that we'd love to have them participate, so just keeping it out there in front of people and so forth. Um, that's, that's just all part of it. But we expect, I mean, we've only been in this two years since we got the first grant, so for for two years, we've been building the database, building the lesson plans, and building these resources on the website. Um, and I feel like if we can do this in two years, what can't we accomplish? We can do so much. I'm just I'm just so excited about what we can put together here that might, hopefully, will be helpful to, to teachers and interesting to the public also. All right. Well, it is customary that we give our guests the last word on our show. Cindy, why do you think things like the Teaching Iowa History Project are relevant in today's world? Well, I mean, I think it's relevant right now, especially because the new social studies standards were passed and they only gave teachers a certain amount of time to implement them and they needed resources in order to do that. So the timing was was important for this project. It was very relevant to that. But I also think in terms of the, today's pandemic, digital resources are, are where it's at. Anybody sitting at home can access, can look at the Teaching Iowa History Project, can look at all of these online databases and, and uh, collections. I mean, it's just it's where we're headed, right? So I think it's very relevant. Well, right. and, and I'm going to, to add to that, and then I'm going to ask John as a, as a social studies teacher as well. Um, for me, the relevancy is, is really the, the access, even if it's virtually, to primary sources. Um, we have so our, – our kids are so divorced from those things in general, uh, the museums four towns away or – you know, I never go there or I don't have transportation, whatever. And so to, to have access to some of those um, archival pieces is just such a big deal. And I think ultimately makes for better, not, not just better history people, but better thinkers in general, because you have to interact with the material directly rather than somebody else guiding you. So I think that makes it really relevant. John, what do you think? I think it makes it relevant in that it helps kids understand uh, the civic history of, of our state, I mean, and it brings forth hopefully civic duty. I mean, we, but when I was a kid in, in the Iowa school districts, there was always the talk about the Iowa history class, and it always got seen, because usually because of funding, to be put aside. So I think this is really fantastic and relevant. When we come back, we will wrap things up, so please stay tuned. This is ROI on KALA St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM.
program, the award-winning Relevant or Irrelevant, is heard Friday evenings at 9.30 p.m. Central Time on KALA HD2 or 106.1 FM in the Quad City area. You can listen over the air or anywhere via TuneIn.com. To hear this program and many other archived editions at any time, visit SoundCloud.com. Search for username KALA Radio. There you'll find Relevant or Irrelevant and many other productions produced at the St. Ambrose University Communications Center. This concludes the 362nd show of ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant. Our producer and engineer is Dave Baker. Our program manager is Rick Sweet, and the theme song for our show is titled Kayla's Theme and was written and performed by Mark Zapsapital. My name is Jay Sorts. And my name is John Keeley. We would like to thank our guest, Cindy Sweet, Executive Director of the Iowa Museum Association, who talked with us about the Teaching Iowa History Project. The history buff for today's show was Rick Sweet. This is ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, on KALA. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University or KALA. We would like to wish all our listeners to experience the great Basutu proverb, Otso Pulanala, peace, reign, and prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night.